Hello and welcome everyone. It's so great to have you here with us. We are going to be talking today with a very special and honored guest and I'm very, very happy to be bringing her into this dialogue space, which will also drop as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Global Restorative Justice on the Rise Network. And by the way, welcome to this dialogue, um, ongoing dialogues that we've been doing since 2011, focused on restorative justice and peacebuilding related issues um, and opportunities worldwide. Our network has grown significantly, especially in the past year. Um, the last year or two have been a, an incredible witness to the power of the rising movement of restorative justice and how it links back really to the theme of today's conversation, and that is restoring voices and balance. And in this case, we're going to be focusing in about writing as a restorative vehicle. Our very special guest today is Diane Raptosh. Diane is um, an incredible writer, a poet, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more from her official bio. The reason we're bringing Diane into the fold is um, there's so many reasons. She not only has a very impressive um, biographical sketch and history as a professor and a writer, but she's also um, a personally uh, a very much a favorite professor and previous advisor of mine in my college experience. And um, she's the first person in many cases in her college forums to introduce people to such important ethics and writers such as Bell Hooks, um, Michel Foucault, uh, Gloria, Gloria Andaluza, and many others. And Diane has a wonderful sense of justice and of poetic candor um, in her abilities to inspire each of her students. And so I, I just wanted to add that piece and then read her official bio, which uh, it mentions her incredible prolific history of writing, including her fourth book of poetry and most recent, uh, or excuse me, the fourth book of poetry, American Amnesiac, which is from Etruscan Press, was long listed for the 2013 National Book Award and was a finalist for the Housatonic Book Award. The recipient of three fellowships in literature from the Idaho Commission on the Arts, she served as the Boise Poet Laureate in 2013 as well as the Idaho Writer in Residence from 2013 to 2016. In 2018, she won the Idaho Governor's Arts Award in excellence, a highly active ambas um, ambassador, excuse me, for poetry. She has given poetry workshops everywhere from riverbanks to maximum security prisons. She teaches creative writing and co-directs the program in criminal justice prison studies at the College of Idaho. Her most recent book of poems, Human Directional, was published by Etruscan Press in 2016. Her sixth book of poems, Dear Z, The Zygote Epistles, will be published by Etruscan Press in 2020. And to learn more about Diane and her work, all you need to do is go to dianeraptosh.com. That's www.dianeraptosh.com. 
And so again, today's focus um, and springboard for our conversation with Diane is focused on restoring voices and balance, writing as restorative vehicle. And so I know that's a long-winded opening, but I felt it was really important to add the personal aspect of um, having so much respect as a former student of Professor Diane Raptosh, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Thank you for being on Restorative Justice on the Rise. Welcome, Diane. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here, Molly. Thank you so much. And so, Diane, I'd love to just jump right into the dialogue with you today by asking you if you might give us a little insight into your your own journey and if you would share your earliest inspiration or a catalyst that resulted in your dedication to work in prisons and also to spearheading programs at university. Sure. Well, um I've been very lucky and very blessed in my life. My One of my best friends and colleagues at the College of Idaho, where I teach literature and, and writing and now criminal justice-related courses, uh, was a sociologist. And so to, for a poet to have as a best friend and favorite colleague a sociologist is a great gift indeed, because we both study similar um, and question similar issues uh, having to do with power, uh, social justice issues, um, uh, cultural, so cultural and social inequalities. So we, we um, had collaborated a great deal and we swapped uh, emails with um, articles about what's going on um, in, in the field of sociology and I would send her emails in turn. And as it turns out, we both um, had an interest in uh, criminology and, and the criminal justice system in America. Of course, she was far more knowledgeable than I was, and I owe my um, original inspiration to her because she started sharing information with me that, that I just, once I heard about some of the statistics and facts about the prison industrial complex in the United States where as you and your your uh, listeners probably know, uh, 2.3 million inmates are incarcerated, 13.5 uh, million annually, three quarters of whom are nonviolent offenders with no history of violence, another 6 million on probation and parole, um, another estimated 68 million Americans have criminal records, um, and I could go on with these just outrageous statistics that I I was so shocked to come come to understand, and I I never got over that shock and outrage, mm, and I never mm -hmm. want to. I never right. want to um, become anesthetized to these these um, systemic um, and egregious inequalities in our country, and once you. Once you start reading about these systems of control, um, they just keep opening more and more doors about uh, that, that reveal the workings of the United States, um, who is who is most most thoroughly under systems of control, and I, I have just never been able to stop obsessing over this this topic. 
so um, I became a kind of armchair sociologist. Long story short, she retired and left me, um, sadly, to uh, to carry on these classes by myself. So um, I did. The one, one course that we came up with together and really was um, the jumping off point to the three minors that we now have in criminal justice studies was the prison experience course. We wanted to get mm-hmm. students off campus. We know that they learn more and better when they're not sitting in a classroom, passively uh, listening to their professors drone on. So we started taking students to prison, and we started inviting um, professionals into our classroom, as well as uh, formerly incarcerated individuals, family members who have uh, loved ones in prison. And we started letting a whole bunch of different voices enter the classroom, Mm. um, in addition to taking our students into jails and prisons and women's safe houses. And that becomes my my lifelong passage. That was, I think, 20 years ago. So Okay. Yeah. So around Um, 1999, something like that. Yes. 1998, 99. It was before the criminal justice system was was anywhere on the national consciousness. I think maybe only Mm -hmm. the only the comedians would every once in a while make a jab at the criminal justice system, but but nowhere else could you find any Mm -hmm. information um, unless your best friend was a sociologist. Or unless your um, loved one was incarcerated. Unless, indeed, unless your loved one is incarcerated or you're a member of one of the communities who's who's, um, under uh, a great deal of police surveillance. And um, those two things are not true of my own life, which has been very... Mm-hmm. I've been lucky, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm aware of that luck and that privilege that I have. <clears throat> so I've never gotten over my horror at the system, and I hope I never. I'm sure I never will. So I feel that my job is to just is to continue to enlighten people, um, to awaken sleepers, and um, help to help um, increase chances that our liberal arts educated students will end up going into crim- in, into the criminal justice field with a greater sense of empathy and purpose and understanding about who goes to prison and why and who doesn't and why. You were describing the the catalyzing of this incredible program and, and specific the prison experience class that you and your former um, colleague started back in 99. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you saw and where, how, first of all, how did you start to make um, partnerships with some of these different facilities, of course, prisons, as well as the other facilities that you mentioned? And then, um, of course, you do a yearly class uh, every winter, I believe, still. And I, yes. and I believe you're it's, still visiting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit more about like resistances you might have had, um, discoveries that you made in the beginning, and like how you actually began to implement this type of uh, program. Um, for because I, I sure. happen to know that there's a lot of people who are very much wanting to do work in, especially in coordination with prisons, and already are doing it, but it's a hugely growing subsection of 
of the overall umbrella of what we might call restorative justice and yes. um, victim offender dialogue programs and, and prison fellowship programs where um, there's, you know, the ability for people to come together in circle and do creative things, including your, you know, your incredible work with teaching writing in prisons. So I know that's a mouthful, but let's just go back to the resistances and the discoveries and any info Absolutely. you want to give people about how to start. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So the first year we we taught the prison experience, we had a two-pronged um, focus. One was on writing and the other was on the sociology. So what we did very bravely and very boldly back in whatever it was, 98 perhaps, um, we trained, I trained uh, some of our our students in the prison experience course, which then was smaller. It was about 13 students. I, I basically taught them how to write, run a writing workshop, how to facilitate a writing workshop. So we spent some time talking about that in our early days of the prison experience course. Um, the tricky thing was that even before the winter session started, at our school, we had to go and be debriefed and be, have a sort of introduction to prison at the prison with the prison officials if we were to run a writing workshop there. So that was uh, somewhat tricky to negotiate, but we, we, we're pretty, pretty persistent and tenacious. So Robin and I and the students, after Christmas vacation, went to prison and went through this this sort of indoctrination course where they proceeded to try to explain to us how different from ourselves the inmates are, uh, how they're going to try to game us and con us in all likelihood. Um, they, you know, we spent at least 12 hours of, of time being uh, indoctrinated into certain principles having to do with that kind of a theme and having to do with safety and dress code and so on. And um, so at first, Robin and I were, were, were we were a little nervous. We, we met each other in the bathroom there at the prison. We said, oh, my gosh, are we doing the right thing? Well, it's too late now. <laughs> Here we are. We're going to do it. So um, we boldly uh, had students Leading these workshop uh, experiences, we sat in, of course, and um, I would intervene here and there, making a point or so. But our students, amazingly, led writing workshops in this medium security prison in Boise, and they did a very fine job of it. And at every corner of the room, there was a correctional officer. It was extraordinarily safe, and it was an incredible learning experience for everyone. And then we would spend time in the classroom uh, outside of prison, debriefing over the writing sessions, going over uh, facts and statistics having to do with uh, race and poverty and, um, um, in, you know, matters about who, uh, who whose communities are surveilled and so on. And it was an amazing and, and wonderful experience, and it caught the attention of local newspapers and and television stations, but thereafter we decided that the writing component was just made it just bureaucratically quite complicated and that we couldn't be assured that every year students would be able to arrive after Christmas vacation at the prison to take this pre-course 
um, that was necessary to, to the college course, the prison experience. So we decided to simplify a bit and have students um, in internships give writing workshops in, in smaller places like juvenile detention centers and women's safe houses. So then the prison experience became more about visiting prisons, talking to the employees there, meeting, talking to inmates as was allowed, especially with the dog training program, and inviting more and different kinds of speakers into our class, including uh, people as as far-reaching as the, the poet Jimmy Santiago Baca, who learned to write in prison, um, a former gang member from L.A. who uh, was in prison, and I don't know how we got him to come to our class, but we've gotten some amazing people to come and visit our class, including also David Nevin, uh, legal counsel for um, the uh, for KSM, the, the reputed mastermind behind uh, the 911 attacks. So, so we've had some very big hitters come and talk to our class, along with um, again family members who discuss the impacts of having somebody in in prison, what it does to the family, to the children, to a marriage, and so it's a sort of multi vocal, polyvocal approach to coming to terms with the prison experience. And it's a, it's, a, it's a course that really turns students' heads. They come in thinking, oh my gosh, you know, wow, we're going we're gonna to be reading about serial killers and, and super predators and monsters that, that, are, um, that I see in, in crazy movies and, and so on. And, and what they find is, uh, lo and behold, you know, one in 28 children in the United States has a parent behind bars. Um, and those those parents are not super predators or monsters. They are, in fact, there are neighbors. There are relatives. And very often a student will come up to me before a class and say, I just want you to know this is very sensitive material for me because my fill-in-the-blank is in prison. My mother, my stepmother, mm -hmm. my boyfriend, my father, my stepfather. And I said, no worries, no judgment. If, if something becomes too um, painful for you, just let me know. And we can we can work around these issues because it is um, it's such a far flung uh, systemic matter that touches um, on so many people's lives in so many ways. And w we were just thrilled, and I continue to be thrilled to have the opportunity to to raise awareness about what's going on in prison, who goes and who doesn't, mm. and what we can do to help. Um, to help make the criminal justice system perhaps more intelligent and humane over time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I want to just pause for a moment and just remind everybody who is tuning in that we are talking with Diane Raptosh. And for more information about the extraordinary history of Diane's publications and her upcoming work um, due out in 2020, and, and also including American Amnesiac, go to dianeraptosh.com. You're listening to Restorative Justice on the Rise, and I'm your host, Molly Rowan-Leach. I'm honored to be talking today 
with Diane Raptosh about restoring voice and balance um, through writing as a restorative vehicle. And Diane, you said so much in that first segment of today's conversation. I, I also want to mention, before I forget, too, to warmly invite those who might be interested to join Diane in a wonderful master class coming up in October that she will be conducting online, hosted by Restorative Justice on the Rise, and, and we'll stick around for a few minutes at close to the top of the hour to share a little bit more about the details of that, that upcoming class. And um, so if you're, if you're interested in that, stay tuned with us. Make sure you're on our email news list where we provide the most latest information about our upcoming webinars as well as our dialogues. So let's dive back in, Diane. You, you really fleshed out quite a bit uh, um, in that uh, first 15 minutes or 20 minutes here. And what I'm hearing is that how important it is for us to not become desensitized and yet all the forces in many ways are trying to do that very thing with this punitive lens, in fact, by distancing a human being from humanness and defining mm -hmm. uh, people as that act um, for the rest of their lives in many cases, and even some of them to the detriment of their very life. And so... Um, I wondered if we could just do an impromptu before we go more ground level about today's topic around writing as restorative vehicle. Let's talk about restorative justice versus punitive justice. And I, I mean, I don't mean to set it up dualistically like that, but there are some very definitive differences. So tell us about what yes. restorative justice means to you and what you see when you think about punitive justice and what you've seen. I mean, you already described how you were prepped in your prison work. So, Well, Thank I you. think the, the, ob the, the obvious difference between restorative justice and punitive justice is restorative justice asks us to be accountable to our mistakes and to self-reflect about our mistakes and to consider ramifications that that our mistakes might have um, in terms of others and in terms of the greater community, in terms of the, the greater human family that we are all equally members of, no matter our histories and no matter our mistakes, individual and collective. So what is so much, so superior in my view about a, a restorative justice approach is that it asks us all, not just a so-called offender, I hate that term so much, I, I almost refuse to use it, um, to, it, it asks us all to, to, to face self mm -hmm. and to, to grow out of the walls of our pain and to look one mm. another in the to look ourselves in the eye and say well I've done this and I've done that those were probably not good things I can say as a parent restorative justice practices help me uh, 
be honest with myself when I have done something that as a parent I know was not effective, um, that I regret having done, and wish I had the chance for a do-over. Then I will call my one of my daughters, you know, into a room and say, look, I've I've thought about what I said to you, and I was in the wrong, and I apologize. That was my mistake. And it helps me become a better, a better, I haven't ever been in prison or jail so far, knock on wood. I have broken the law like probably every human being alive. But those very practices which keep us honest with ourselves, which demand that we look ourselves in the eye, um, in our inner eye, and within ourselves and say, I am vastly imperfect and every day I do wrong. And I hope that the people I care about can forgive me. And so we move that kind of a practice into the criminal justice system or into public schools or whatever kind of an institutionalized setting. It sets us up for greater um, authenticity, a greater sense of understanding and forgiveness, which begins with self-forgiveness. If we don't reckon with our own pain, we cannot feel into the pain of others. Um, what is the line? I have a line in a poem, if it's not too strange to quote it. Um, please do. I was actually will, just thinking about that. Bring it in, please. Who, who will not feel his own pain can only inflict it. And if we mm. cannot feel our own pain and reach very deeply into it, and yes, it can be very uncomfortable at times, then we cannot fully know and appreciate the tremendous pain and suffering that others, perhaps who might seem unlike ourselves in some way, are experiencing. So so the very act of um, reckoning with the self helps us to become kinder and more forgiving of those around us. I don't care if it's behind, you know, if they're behind bars, if they're our children, our friends, our bosses. Um, the human being is a fragile, fallible, anxiety-riddled creature. Nobody is exempt from those facts. Mm. And RJ is is an opportunity to continue to honor and celebrate those basic characteristics that make us all human and make us all fallible. A punitive system induces shame, celebrates cruelty, as does the greater culture. Uh, I think our our this late stage of capitalism with its emphasis on um, um, the cultivation of the self uh, by which I don't mean the cultivation of the inner self, but just the victory of the self over others, um, promotes a, a brutal indifference to suffering. And that is the suffering of oneself and the suffering of those who are less fortunate. A, a, 
punishment model does not bring out the best in us, to, to, to put it very mildly. It perpetuates systemic cruelties and um, leads to barbaric behavior in, in people who are in, even in positions of power, who are not in prison, who are uh, in very, very powerful positions um, in the legislature, in corporations, and in other organizations. So, of course, I would love to see uh, uh, the, the punishment system replaced by a system that is based on um, facing self mm. and facing, and thereby facing others with greater equanimity and compassion. Mm. Does that answer your question? <laughs> That's beautifully put. Thank you. So poetically put and potent too, and based on fact as well. And it made me think of Rumi's quote, uh, this human being is a guest house. So this being, this is a guest house that we're passing through here and thinking about the shaming and the othering that, that happens um, to people who, if you'd like to use the term author, um, I just wanted to mention that Dominic Varder is one of my inspirations and guides in the field of restorative practices, and his work is extraordinary in the world. And um, he uses yes. the term author in replace of offender. And for those of you listening who might be skeptics, that's that's great. Um, we need skeptics because it helps the restorative justice movement to get even stronger in responding to the very valid needs that people have. Um, people who have been impacted by violent crime have very valid needs and concerns. And so as this movement is growing very fast, I just want to thank people for questioning practitioners and helping us to improve our policies. Um, I hope you don't mind me saying that, Diane, because I just I think Not it's important all. to acknowledge that um, you know, there's a lot of resistance and pushback, and not only that, and you'll love this, it's um, it pushes buttons in our very wiring to consider that, you know, okay, we're going to shift from this brute force punishment, um, and in some cases, you know, solitary confinement is a part of that, uh, to, sure. and, and the, the warehousing of our kids, um, school-to-prison pipeline, mm -hmm. um, that this 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 punishment is, um, you know, somehow working, like you said. And when in 1973, it was um, very much a clear clear statement from our own Department of Justice that punishment does not work. But yet mm -hmm. here we are rewiring ourselves, <laughs> rewiring our very neuroscience to come back into a space of empathy and compassion and still like you said earlier and I loved the point you made that restorative justice gives us an opportunity to be responsible to respond to to repair yes. to to be respectful to to give and receive respect so um so thank you for for that that was very well said and now um now as we're like further along into our second segment today Let's talk about the ground level of the, you know, around the writing 
um, that you're doing and how is that a restorative vehicle? Um, tell us a little bit about what that means to you and perhaps share a few things that um, you've seen happen so far in your classes that are, are striking to you. Well, to start with the very personal, I will say that um, for me, writing has been a life-saving activity, and I say that um, without hyperbole. I'm not sure that I would have been able to survive. What is a rather difficult world, even on the outside, um, as even one of the luckiest, you know, 1% of the people on the planet, it has given me uh, a way to, a way through, always. As long as I can write, continue to write something down, I know I'm going to be okay. And uh, with the intensity of that feeling, I, I facilitate writing workshops where in this, which I've been doing just, you know, over the past year and years um, in, the, in the men's, right now the men's medium security prison in CUNA, Idaho, where probably, as is the case everywhere, uh, they are accustomed to being called by their numbers uh, all the time. Nobody ever calls them by their name. So um, one of the things that I wanted to do, one of the writing assignments I had them do right away was to write about their names because I, I wanted to remind them that their names uh, cannot be erased from their identity, their sense of who they are. And I wanted them to revisit their sense of themselves um, through their names. And wow, that was, it was hard for them to break through to do that because they're so accustomed to not being their own names. And, and the, the, the exciting thing that happens is, well, they did end up writing some truly wonderful poems about their names. Um, but maybe more importantly is over time and, and after months and then years of building trust and a very safe environment and assuring them that, yes, we will return to this writing workshop. It's not going to go away because they've had so many people who've um, turned their backs on them and so many systems that have turned their backs on them. There lurks this fear that this writing project, this writing workshop thing, this is just a fad of craze. These teachers are going to go away like everyone. So we're, when I say we, there are some other writers that participate in this with me. And we're very clear with them that, no, we do not plan to go away. And if the administrators try to make us go away, we will find a way to come back. So let's get to the writing and let's just keep building trust. And so they make these these tremendous breakthroughs. Um, and so the the moment that they enter the writing workshop classroom, they they re-enter a sense of their own humanity and personhood, which of which they have been robbed to some degree by the punitive system. And in these writing workshops, they are able to to be very vulnerable and to be very authentic and to uh, reauthor themselves, in a sense, 
and to be reminded that they are not the sum total of one mistake they've made in their lives that they've become known or notorious for. That, like everyone, they are far more than the sum total of this one mistake. There's nobody on this earth who does not make numerous mistakes, some of which are quite grave, some of which might find us in prison or not. Um, but I know myself I have made many mistakes, which I regret. And thankfully, there is grace and forgiveness among family, friends, community, um, and I also believe that the universe is laced with it, with forgiveness. And so mm-hmm. in these workshops, once they've, once they've arrived at a sense of safety and trust, mm-hmm. they, they feel very empowered. They remember they're human, that they're human, and that no matter what, um, they can always turn to the page to be free. There, in my opinion, there's one place to be free in this world, and it's on the page. Mm. And they they also are finding that to be the case, and they look forward to the writing workshops, and they know it's a great luxury and a privilege, and they are so immensely grateful. They It brings them to tears, their gratitude. Not, not I'm not talking about me, but there are a number of, as I've said, a, a number of writing teachers who are very dedicated. Uh, I want to mention Shane Brown, who teaches at the College of Southern Idaho. He drives from Twin Falls to CUNA. That's a two, two-and-a-half-hour drive every two weeks uh, to lead writing workshops for basically nothing, for very tiny, you know, for maybe a pittance. But he doesn't do, obviously doesn't do it for the money. He does it because he's a compassionate person who wants to make a difference. And he feels these things in his heart. Does that, is that a reasonable response? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I'm just, (laughs) I'm, I'm just sitting in silence for a moment absorbing that and I'm Mm -hmm. sure our listeners are as well. It sounds to me like the very act of writing is not unlike um, the way that we do restorative circles in setting a container for equanimity and voice. Would that be true in your experience, Diane, in your perspective? Yes. Yes. It promotes self-reflection, self-ownership, accountability, and acceptance. And these seem to be... uh, Features of that that are emphasized by the restorative justice um, process. Do you have a story of one person that you've worked with over perhaps a longer period of time that you might be willing to share, or maybe a uh, an anecdote of some sort that you'd like to share with all of us? I do. Let me find it here. Um, (laughs) 
one day when I was at this workshop at, um, at the men's prison here in Juneau, in Idaho, one of the one of the students came. It, 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 we were between things. We were taking a little break, and sort of uh, just between him and me, he handed me this piece of paper, and he said, "Would you look at Would you look at this and tell me how far off I am in terms of what's on my mind?" what I want, what I'm feeling and what I want to write about. Can you look at this list and tell me how it fares with, with things that people are thinking about in the outside world? And I said, sure. And so he handed me this little paper on which he had scribbled words and phrases like this. Despair. Mental health issues. Concern about the future a sense of being trapped, thoughts about suicide, regret, anxiety that that doesn't seem to go away, a sense of hopelessness, missing my family. And and I just I just felt so honored that he would share this private list that was just that was just between him and his mind, and he shared this list with me, and I said, you know what, I'll call him Casey, these are the very issues that that are at the core of every human being alive. These are the kinds of things that make everybody ache and turn people to writing so that we can transform these 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 states into into beauty into something that gives us hope and gives others hope there's absolutely nothing strange or even especially dark about this list this is what human beings are made of in addition to the other stuff the joy the love the triumph but we tend to write about the things that give us difficulty. What gives, what comes easily, like joy, we don't necessarily have to write about that much because we're not having troubles with it. We write about <clears throat> the 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 difficult stuff. And I just felt so um, grateful for that exchange because it meant he trusted me. And... Um, I gave him an honest answer, of course, as I as I would. I'm, I'm a very bad liar, um, and he's also he's a fantastic writer, fantastic, and he works really hard at it. And he was he was cheered to know that his list was not a crazy's list, if that makes any sense. I said, "You're touching mm-hmm. at the core of of the human." Just keep writing, mm. and then they write th- they write things that are that are sometimes dark. They write they write humorous pieces. Um, they write piece they wrote they write pieces that bring people to tears. They they there was a reading at this prison that that the, the students were able to give from the prison. They invited their family and friends, and this one gentleman read a story about the death of his grandmother that had everybody in tears, everybody. 
it was so beautiful. And and of course, the death of, of a loved one, if you're incarcerated, means that what I call um, uh, what I have a little acronym for it: um, uh, missed life opportunities or missed life experiences um, that are major. <laughs> and yes, the 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 thing that I believe and witness with our culture is you don't know what it's like to not be able to be at the bedside of a loved one who is dying. You don't know what it's like to miss the death and funeral and services of a very close loved one. You don't know what it's like to miss miss the birth uh, uh, or Ah. the, the care of your own child. Um, or your grandchildren or, you know, your relatives. So unless you've been in those shoes. And so that, um, what you've just shared, I mean, that that uh, I can see how writing about it would be about the only way to process how significant and how how devastating it must be for persons incarcerated to not be allowed to visit with their loved ones in final moments of life or to be a part of right. life itself. Mhm. Oh, it's a heartbreaker for sure. One of the primary images in that in that wonderful piece was she, the last time she had come to visit him in prison, uh they mm-hmm. shared a monster energy drink. <laughs> and and this monster energy uh-huh. drink that they shared was their 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 communion, their mode of communion. Mm-hmm. And it was just the most beautiful symbol and slightly humorous of their their love for each other. Um it was just so moving. I wish I had it right here before me. I would read the whole thing to you. On the note of of writing, do you have a poem that you'd like to share with us before we close tonight um, from any of your volumes of poems? Or um, you could think about that for a moment and we could come back to it. Um, Why don't we do that? Think about that if there's a poem you'd like to bring in to close tonight. And I want to go back to the theme and just go back into this idea of restoring balance and I know from the, the parts of my journey that have inspired me and in learning from people who are of various indigenous perspectives and traditions, and one of those happens to be Huna and, you know, a Hawaiian and, and Polynesian kind of practices and principles that that are referred to as um, ho'oponopono. And in the traditional sense, pono, actually is a word that translates in English to balance. And so the healing that we do, the work that we do together in this field called restorative justice is cultivating the conditions to restore balance, not to say or erase what what has happened, but to acknowledge it and then to bring something back to balance. So I'd love to hear um how how do you see writing as bringing yourself bringing the inmates you work with 
back into balance? What are the elements, Diane? Well, I guess I would say that I, I guess as a as a poet, as an earthling, as a citizen, as a person, I, I feel as a member of planet Earth, as an American, I guess I feel that our feeling function is broken at the at the level of the individual and at the level of the collective. And it has been broken for quite some time, generations. And it's sort of, I think it's reached a, a peak of brokenness or a nadir of brokenness, depending on how you see it. And it needs to be repaired. That is to say, we need to be able to feel and to feel deeply and to feel authentically and not to fear feeling. And the great teacher of feeling and thinking as well is poetry. Um, I, I also don't necessarily believe there's that much of a difference between me and somebody who's in prison. I think anybody can commit a mm -hmm. crime. Any, everybody breaks the law. We've all reached moments of passion that could lead us to one thing or another. I don't feel different really from mm -hmm. anybody who anybody who's behind bars um, so I think that when we can address and when we can address the matter of feeling properly when we can give human emotion the seriousness the time, the work, the human energy that it deserves, we 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 can move forward as a species. Um, it begins with facing the self. Uh, just yesterday in my prison literature class, we watched um, the documentary by Eve Ensler, What I Want My Words to Do to You, where, where she's in the Bedford Hills Correctional Institute teaching writing to female prisoners, and one of the most amazingly articulate women in that workshop said, you know, sure, I'm guilty of my crime, but what I'm most guilty of is my refusal to face self. I'm guilty of my refusal to not grow out of the walls of my pain. And again, to quote, I know it's silly, I feel odd quoting this line again from one of my poems, but who cannot feel his own pain can only inflict it. So when we cannot feel fully and without shame our own pain, we become punishers of others. Mm -hmm. And when we can feel our own pain and embrace it and forgive ourselves and embrace pain and embrace all the great and myriad human emotions that we all have within us, we will be much kinder to ourselves and we will be much kinder to those around us and those we have previously thought to be tremendously different from ourselves. We're all, in the words of C the poet C.D. Wright, we are all one big self. We are all emanations of one self. 
the good and the bad and all the in-between. We all can take all of that. We all have to embrace all of that. Then we can move to a place of greater balance, which is a place, a place of greater love, of, of greater forgiveness, and greater um, understanding and compassion. That's so beautifully put. Thank you so much, Diane. We've really appreciated this conversation with you so deeply. And before we sign off from our hour together, I'd love to just remind people who are listening that we get the wonderful opportunity of convening with you in our virtual uh, webinar education living room. I like to call it the Webucation Living Room. And that's going to be coming up next month, October 24 and 31. If you're interested about more details, make sure you're on our email list because we send updates and invites to all of our events through restorativejusticeontherise.org email. Um, the uh, e-news the e is something that comes out uh, on a regular basis. You also get invitations, updates, resources, and, of course, the podcast, which features Wonderful folks like Diane tonight, as well as Brian Stevenson, Michelle Alexander, James O.D., and so many people of, uh, of fame and of not, not having fame who um, all are equally important to catalyzing a transformation of justice and, as Diane, you so beautifully put, a transformation of, of self and um that, that we can do this, that, that this movement is something that has some powerful potential for its very simple roots, its very simple principles, which you've illuminated beautifully tonight. So oh, I'd like to just ask, yes. I'd, I'd like to ask if you would share with us a few things, if you would, about mm -hmm. the, the two-part webinar, which is, again, October 24 and 31st. Um, what what are you looking forward to about what we're going to embark on with you? I guess I'm looking forward to um, breaking down some of these these ideas further and and maybe in slightly different terms. Um, I'm looking forward also to sharing some some writing from from some of the men that I've worked with recently. I, I don't have work from, from the women just now. Um, what else am I looking forward to? <laughs> and people will get a chance to, to learn more about um, teaching writing in teaching, within prisons. Oh, teaching, yeah, teaching writing in prisons, uh, some of the um, challenges uh the 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 infinite rewards um some of the um just sort of the housekeeping housekeeping details how do you even contact a prison and who do you talk to and um the nuts and bolts the nuts and bolts all the way to the 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 philosophical um and poetic um joys that that just accompany um being in a room with people who want to um, move their lives forward, they, these students are always incredibly motivated. 
incredibly well motivated. So I just hope to detail and further flesh out some of the matters I addressed, maybe in a kind of general way today, um, to provide more specifics. Mm-hmm. We're so looking forward to that experience. Um, very much looking forward okay. to this webinar with you, Great. Diane. And would you like to share a poem, uh, a I more have full a poem. poem tonight yes. before we close? I do. I have. Great. I, yes. I have one poem. So before, uh, that, before, yes, before you read, read the poem, I just want to thank everyone for joining us, for tuning in. Um, we're on iTunes at Apple Podcasts. We are also on Stitcher as well as Spotify. You can also just go to restorativejusticeontherise.org to play within the web window on that website. We're seeing uh, a wonderful rise in our global community participation base. We hope that you in, have enjoyed this conversation and all of the ones to come. Go into our archives to find over 170 dialogues at this point, spanning over nine years in the field of restorative justice. Thank you so much. And Diane, I'm going to let you close us out with a poem. Thanks again. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Molly. I've enjoyed this, and I appreciate it so much. Likewise. So this is a poem titled Dear Z from the manuscript that will that is called Dear Z, the Zygote Epistles. It's a collection of letters to a zygote. And this is a poem um, in which you'll hear the line that I kept repeating during the, the other part of the podcast. Um, and one more quick word about it. It, it. it references the song Blackbird by the Beatles, which is a song I used to sing to both of my daughters when they were babies in the rocking chair. Um, so I think that's all the intro information I need to provide. Dear Z, when I sing Blackbird to the visiting baby, her fingers hook sounds from my mouth and fist them into furies of clay. What have I in common with most living things, and how do I differ is the main question that blinkers her boundary conditions. She dung beetles along, the human experiment grafting its skin onto madcap austerity. Corporations, the nation's trophy constituents. Prisons, harvesting children for profit. The whole system sounding its moves toward the sea lurch of languages overturn. Men sublimate anguish through punishment modes. The doomed blackbird practically tearing its beak as it sinks its roll hymns in blank heartbreak of night. Hear this. Who will not feel his own pain can only inflict it. Visiting pilgrim, to plainly despair is to sip on the milk of the great human braille, its tender uprisings, its horripilation that's goose flesh. If it so happens, you were awaiting some new takeaway on that 68 standard.
That's it. Thank you. The 68th standard was the Beatles song. Blackbird. And that's Diane Raptosh. And for more information about her work, dianeraptosh.com. Thank you for joining us today. Restorative Justice on the Rise is a public dialogue series. RestorativeJusticeOnTheRise.org. See you next time. Thank you. Holy cow, I'm crying. <laughs> that really <laughs> that really got to me. <laughs> Thank oh, you so much good. for that beautiful poem. Oh my gosh. Oh. Well, I'm so sorry my voice is still so nasally. No, I it my was voice were, we're not so bad, but Yeah. I thought that I would mean, be a good poem since I kept quoting myself. I hope that wasn't too obnoxious to you. <laughs> not at all. Let me I quote mean, myself. After all, this was <laughs> oh dear. Not at all. Not at all. And I I just really was um really appreciating the the nature t in which you went into some of this um so poetically and meaningfully. Thank you cuz a lot of times it's, you know, I I I've talked to a lot of people about about these varying topics and sometimes it's you know, it's really just about like the surface stuff and the stats and everything. Yeah. So I, adding I get a feeling yeah. to this, this this is actually one of the the more powerful episodes I think in really bringing to the surface the feeling and the human aspect of you know. Oh, of, good. Yeah. So so should I get back with you about? Um, how, what I'd what I'd like to do is start circulating because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure this podcast is circulated to the e-news list um, as a teaser and also of course just as a general podcast um, for the global network and you know it, it's incredible to see how many people are coming to the site these days uh, to listen so Great. I'm excited I'm excited about that and the potential to get you some some exposure in new pockets for the amazing work you've been doing for so long. And um, and so what I'd, I think I'd like to do is is stop now and get back to you on an email on um, how you'd like me to language just the deep, just the brief like bullet points of each session. And so um, that I can kind of sync that up with, with sending out the the new podcast. Um, okay. I don't know you if I have the power in me to, to download about that right now because of how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and okay. also I need to pick oh, up my son. <laughs> I understand. Is that Life okay with you? <laughs> oh, just whenever, Molly. Just whenever. Of course. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I'd Life like to do busy. it sooner than later. I'd, I'd actually like yeah. to have it out by the end of the week, if that's possible. Okay. Um, okay. And if it, that can work, yeah. Well, if Whatever. that works for you, I want to honor your needs, too. Like, would it Absolutely. be easy enough to write a brief description and give some deliverable bullet points of what we're going to look at for each class? By Friday? Yeah. Let me write this down. Um, yes. that work for you? Can you can okay. you just repeat that deliverable 
Just some bullet points okay. about the, the areas we're going to, to be um, exploring in each session and, and maybe like the framework topic of the session. And then um, if you have, like, like we did for this session, I can, I can provide some ideas for an overall title of the class. Great. That would be helpful. Yeah. Okay. Are, are there things in particular you want me to um, touch, make sure I touch on? I can look at what you are thinking and add suggestions for you to consider yeah. if, if that's okay, okay with you. Yeah. Because I want you to be comfortable and have fun with this and enjoy it. So <laughs> I don't want to tell you what to do. Absolutely. You're the one doing okay. the amazing work. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back. Yeah, I'll go back and see what I said I would say. <laughs> and turn it into a few bullet points. Um, yeah. By Friday. Does yeah. that sound good? Yeah, that would be great. That would be really great because okay. um, then I'll be ready to to start, um, you know, sending out information about it. And and I'll, I'll run everything by you before we post, you know, post about the class and have the registration page ready and all of that. So I'll, I'll make sure that you have your eyes on it before anything is final and starts circulating. Great. <laughs> Does that sound good? Perfect. So Yep, okay. so I'll send that to you by Friday. Is that is that good enough? Early? Yeah, yeah. And does that still fit your needs around I mean babies have their own timing and your grandbaby might have Yeah, his the own baby timing. the baby's the baby's due date is October first, so he's gonna be born pretty pretty soon. But oh, we, we did it late enough we did it late enough in October. Yeah um, that, that he like already will have been born and I already will have visited. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah. And also, Diane, no, if you. you would like me to to put together a presentation like a PowerPoint for you, I would be honored to do that. Like even just a few images for you to have in the background as you're um, as you're you know leading the sessions. So I I'm happy to play a role in you know creating those for you. So that if might you want, be great. Since, wanna, I'm, since you, I'm a total PowerPoint loser, I've never, you know, I'm <laughs> one of the only people alive who's never done a PowerPoint presentation. It's so pathetic. <laughs> My, Colette just looked at me and uh, she, with a look of great pity, <laughs> she thinks I'm weird. I know. Well, okay. Guilty as charged. Um, and, you know, However, I can help anytime you want me to come to the college again. You know that I'd be there in an instant for for you and your class. Definitely. So I just got done doing a training happen. with a, a middle school from Wyoming um, yesterday. So oh, I've been man. Kind of yeah, yeah, I'm we're sure you mental have health busy. team. Um, wow, they were really, really neat. Really neat people. And really surprisingly um, in motion in a good way with implementation. And it's only, what, a month into school being in session? So 
So wow. I was impressed. Yeah. Awesome. Well, there's a lot of great stuff happening in the world. Yeah, and I wonder sometimes, like, you know, we need more reminders together of that fact, more more it's evidence true. because it's out there. You know, it's out there. I get a I get a daily email called Daily Good, and I love it for that reason. <laughs> yes. Oh, the good, the the great armies of the good are very busy, very busy. You know. So that's the good news. Yep. Well, thank you so much. I really loved our conversation. I hope I hope you found it to be generative and wonderful. I I felt like I was a little bit on the Eeyore tired side tonight, and I hope I didn't come off like that too much. But oh, not at um, all. I hope I think I was a little <laughs> inarticulate, especially at the beginning. And of course, I sound well, like very nasal. You were great. very nasal, but <laughs> you were wonderful, and I'm I'm excited to share this with the you know the big listener base that we have that um, I, I get a lot of really neat comments from people from all over the place about how uh, the podcast has inspired them. So I'm I'm happy and honored Great. to introduce you to all of them. Oh, fantastic. So. Well, I'm very honored and grateful. Thank you so much, Molly. Of course. Thank you. Okay. So I'll talk to you very soon, good. okay? Take good care. Very good. Okay. We'll, we'll be in touch then. Okay. okay. Bye, Friday. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. You too.